and do a bow, say hi to everyone. Hello. Hello, hello. Thank you guys for coming to the show. Here's my song parody. Now we're now the music's gonna kick in. Wow, he's, he's wearing a full tuxedo here. <laughs> he's actually gonna do this song. That's crazy. Oh my god. Yeah. This song is a classic. Why would you ever want to ruin it? I don't know, but here we go. Ready? Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey yeah. kids! Have you seen the baby who says some funny shit and also wants to kill his mommy? We'll watch a couple eps until he says what the deuce. You're gonna hear a British accent and some funny jokes. Say, Marissa and Mason, have you seen the app where Stewie travels through time? The funny, Hello. funny, funny talking baby. <laughs> oh, and his friend is a talking dog. Oh, Brian, oh he's a fucking dick. He's got a half ton book. Seth MacFarlane's looks, you know I love it when he makes a joke. Oh, oh. the talking baby and the dog. Bow and I sit on the throne. So good. Shit, and then I hell yeah wipe my hell butt, yeah. and then I go to bed, and then I have a dream that I got mm-hmm. on an airplane, but I didn't have mm. my ID with me. No. And I was like, oh, no, I can't get on the plane without my ID. So what happens instead is I tell the stewardess, the airline person, I say, I have to find my ID. And she says, well, did you check your pocket? And I say, yes, of course I checked my pocket, you dumb bitch. And then I check my pocket again. Mm. And guess what? It was actually in my pocket the whole time. But I had a problem, like, grabbing onto, like, my actual, like, ID. So, and then I woke up. Damn. That's a little scary. That's a little, uh, I don't remember my dreams. Typically, truth. Really, you don't remember the, your dreams? The, not really. Sometimes there. Sometimes I got some hitters. Um, but typically, I just, I, I just go to bed, and then the alarm goes off, and then I tur- hit snooze on that sucker and go to sleep for another two hours mm-hmm. until I gotta get up and get ready for work. You know, don't remember my dreams. You know, what's inter- you know what's interesting, Mason? Actually, is that we're recording this a little bit in advance, um, so that we can enjoy the holiday weekend unencumbered. But this episode is actually coming out in December, Mason. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, 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 and a bottle of rum. It's the holiday season, folks. Santa's sliding yeah. down the chimney. You're lighting the menorah. You are mm-hmm. eating corn or maize, I think. That's what you do on in Kwanzaa, I wow. think. Wow. I couldn't tell you. Honestly, if it, everybody wants to, number two, get on the list at gmail.com. If you know about Kwanzaa, I'm very curious about the tradition there. So Genuinely curious about Kwanzaa. Yeah. It's probably, we probably just should have, I probably just should have looked that up, but I didn't know I was going to be talking about it on this episode. But folks. Yeah, true. Welcome back to It's on the List. I am, of course, your host, the funny talking baby, Noah Marger. This is the uh, show where we talk about underrated movies, albums, all that good stuff. I am, of course, here always, as always, with my friend, the funny talking dog, Mason McGuire. Mason. Hello. You recently celebrated your birthday uh, in real life, but in recording world, it will have been passed for a while, so it'll be like three weeks of your birthday on this show, which isn't a bad thing. And I will be celebrating all three weeks. (laughs) There you go. Amen. Uh, How did your birthday go? It was very nice. It was very quiet. I went downstate to Starved Rock State Park about an hour and a half uh, with very good traffic like we had. Just walked around in nature for a little bit, stood in some canyons. Saw uh, some falling leaves, 
breathe some fresh air, enjoy the solitude. And then on my way back to Chicago, stopped by, saw my folks for a little bit, wore masks, socially distanced, got to be back home for a minute. And then went back home and just like kind of chilled out the whole rest of the week. It's my birthday time, basically. And uh, today, three days in real life time after recording my birthday, uh, after my birthday, Feeling good. Felt like I had a good birthday, even with all the craziness going on. So thank you for asking, Jeff. Well, How has it been since I've seen you last, which was uh, not very long ago? Wasn't very long ago. Uh, we've been chilling, baby. Uh, it's actually been a little bit more hectic uh, than normal, just because some decisions about some things have to be made. But I'm going to keep it vague uh, for okay. a very particular reason. But that's okay. Not a big deal at all. Just a big deal for me, because I'm like... Ah, what am I supposed to do? But ultimately, it doesn't really matter. So a little bit hectic in that regard, trying to stock up on my own end uh, for my own podcast that I also don't have to record uh, the week of Thanksgiving. But it looks like I'm going to have to record the week of Thanksgiving, so that's okay. Well, here's the the thing. Yeah. On November 19th, the day that we're recording this, I'm sure this problem feels very uh, huge. But do you feel it'll be resolved by the time this episode drops in earnest the week after? Without a doubt, it will be, yes. Great. So we're just going to look forward to the first week in, week of December when Noah's problem is fixed. But on November nineteenth, twenty twenty, I'm making this. We're making this sound like it's this huge actual problem for me. But really, it's not. It's just like an ode, like personal, like <laughs> fuck. Like I really don't want to have to do <laughs> okay, something okay, or not do something. But it is what it is. But Mason, yes, I want to introduce the guest now. Okay, why don't we? We we do have a guest this week. I know we do have a guest. I think what I think it really what it what it, we came down to. Ooh, really she's what dancing. We, she's dancing. She's a dancer. She's doing um, the Nathan Fielder dance when he's uh, dancing to "Hips Don't Lie" she's by break, Shakira. She's breaking the sides of the Zoom window. She's breaking them down, folks. Now she's miming. Oh my god! Holy shit! Oh my god! I can't fucking believe it. Now she's being sucked into a. God, <laughs> her face is being ripped off. Um, let's no, but I think it, what it is is that our we will guest have is a, the worm from Dune. Uh, welcome, <laughs> welcome, worm from Dune. Thanks for being here. Um, no, but I think it'll be a thing where it's like every three episodes we maybe bring a guest on um, to actually do like a real guest choice. But we can have guests on when we have things that we know that the guests yeah. want to talk about, I think is really what yeah. it came down to. Because we got a Mason's Choice movie and a Noah's Choice album, and the guest is here. She's got to talk about the movie, but she's really here because I know her as a big fan of the album we're talking about today. But I'm going to fucking I'm going to introduce her. OK. Woo! Our guest today is a performer who pre-COVID could be seen in the nationally, tour- nationally touring production of Spamilton. Otherwise, she can be found at Inside Marissa's Head on Instagram, where she's drawing really fun, really cool things. Uh, you can view them uh, on her Instagram, at Inside Marissa's Head, and DM her for commissions. Go ahead and slide into her DMs for those commissions. You can also jet on over to her YouTube channel, BFA Problems, where she's lampooning and, and perform. She's lampooning the performing world or doing song parodies, much like the very cool song parody that I did at the beginning of the show. She probably stole that idea from me. No worries. Guest. Uh, Her episode of my favorite podcast is also available wherever you get your podcasts, where her and host Noah Marger, whoever that is, talk about Jens Lechman's 2017 album, Life Will See You Now, all the way from New York City. Please welcome to the podcast, uh, Marissa Hecker. Hi, Marissa. Whoa! I'm like the John Cena of this podcast right now. Holy yeah. shit! 
Damn, that's true. Yeah. Who's if you're John Cena, you could beat both of us up. For yeah, sure. without a fucking shadow of a doubt. Um, if you're, oh yeah, okay, wait, show us the gun one more time. Show us the. Oh, uh, you know, this is the one. Hold on, I've actually, yeah. I've actually been Those working are... on my arms. Okay. Not yeah. Lie. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that Shout would out just to my yeah. That would crack my my trachea like a freaking match like that. Those are some serious guns you've got there. <laughs> On International Men's Day of all no days. Wow. <laughs> Thank God we're, we're recording this on International Men's Day. I wouldn't want to yes. do it any other day of the whole year. Marissa, what's up? I'm doing so good, Noah. I am with a talking dog. I'm with a talking baby. I am talking right now. So I feel like we have a lot in common. That's You're like here. the lowest of this podcast, I feel. I, okay, am I the lowest or am I... The quagmire of the <laughs> Okay, okay. Don't don't put yourself up there with the ranks of people like quagmire. Okay, that's something that needs to be bestowed upon you, and not something you can give yourself. Okay. Damn, you're right. Thanks for keeping me humble. Thanks, yep. thanks, Chef. Yeah, you're very welcome, Chef. Uh, you are currently in the Big Apple, correct? It's a huge apple right yeah. now, and it's a lot of. <laughs> it's a huge apple with a lot of worms, and those worms are COVID cases, baby. Yeah, I was gonna ask what the COVID situation is in New York right now. How is it being handled, and uh, what's the sitch? Um, I honestly, so the last the the last piece of concrete evidence that I received was that uh, Professor Cuomo, Daddy. Yeah. Esquire. Um, yes. He has decreed that restaurants and bars will no longer be able to serve after 10 p.m. every single day. Okay. Not Which sure is... what that does <laughs> at a certain they point. They closed museums but kept bars and restaurants open in Chicago to mitigate this. Also, you can't buy, you can't go to the liquor store and buy alcohol after 9 p.m., but you can go to a bar until 11. What? That makes no sense. I love it, though. You gotta love it. <laughs> uh, Marissa, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, this is my first time meeting you. That's a trend on the show, which is I really appreciate. Um, do we want to get into movie talk, or is there anything anyone wants to bring no, up? No, I, I just finished said movie like 10 minutes ago, so I'm excited to to shoot the shit with y'all hell yeah whoa okay all right well mason this was a you pick you want to preview this little pick for us uh this week folks continuing my theme of movies i've never seen before that i just want to get off get off the list maybe put on yours oh um (laughs) it's uh joe dante's uh 1992 i believe 1993 baby the year i was born my birth year uh 93 uh matinee sorry john goodman and a host of other folks. Snap, uh, snap, 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 snaps on that yeah. one. All right. Uh, I've never seen this movie before. Have either of you seen this movie before? I have seen this movie before, and it was actually earlier this year, believe it or not. Uh, Whoa. Yeah, this is a movie that sometimes a movie poster is so good <laughs> that you just are like, I just have to see what that is. Like, I just have yes. to know what that movie is buffalo 66 actually a movie we covered back in the long ago days of la uh was one of those for me where i the poster literally stuck with me for years of my life like it just etched into my brain this one was more of a recent discovery uh and i was like holy shit like this poster is so cool i have to just see what this is about and of course everyone's second favorite streaming service of all time after quibi which mason and i now own 
uh, <laughs> which we bought. Do you have any? If you have any ideas for Quibi shows, Marissa, go ahead and pitch us on the show. We might put it on the air. Don't worry about it though. Maybe if you just want to say one later, though. Okay. Yeah, it's about hay balers, but I think it's pretty awesome. Well, you so know what? I... We don't actually need to hear anything else. We're gonna buy that show from you. We're gonna buy it. Great, on great. Yeah. Um, so forty million dollars. No, but it was one of those. It was one of those things. I love hay bailing, by the way. So yeah, that's actually the reason why I wanted to buy the show from you, Marissa. So congratulations. Uh, awesome. So uh, I wanted to. I wanted to watch this movie. It was on Peacock. Peacock, kind mm, of yes. a cool streaming service in theory. Marissa's doing a little Peacock for us in the chat. Thank you, Marissa. You know. And I was like, well, I'm gonna take advantage of that. That doesn't really seem like a movie that really comes across your dashboard in that sense to be like free because Peacock's a free service with ads for NBC Mm. and Universal stuff. So I watched it back in July, like end of July. I like popped it on and uh, that's all I'm going to say about it until we actually start talking about it. But Marissa, have you ever seen this before? Did you even know what this was prior to the show? I had no idea what this was, but I knew knew that it would be, um, you know, a good thing because Mason and Noah are both men of taste. Whoa. So, you know, I, I, I definitely enjoyed it. <laughs> it's very kind of you to say because Mason doesn't hear that a lot. <laughs> so, you know. Ooh. Ooh, I don't know. Yoy, Yikes. 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 Over yeah, here. that's a little bit of a yikey uh-oh one. Mason, though, what was your relationship to this? Uh, I feel so back in the far off days of of uh, uh, t- Twitter Mason. So, Fuck. Uh, this was around 2015, Whoa. 2016, probably. Uh, this came, I was following a lot of movie writer folks, and I think that Peter Labuza tweeted about this movie. Oh, sure. Uh, film Twitter folks and people who know of it and are familiar with the name Peter Labuza. If you don't know it, he's a movie guy, like literally a doctor of movies. Um, and he tweeted about it, and I was like, this guy doesn't typically tweet about, like, studio fair or sort of stuff like that or stuff that seems pretty you know just accessible to i would put myself in this category normal folks um and i was like i gotta put this on my list to watch at some point and so uh i had it downloaded that was to the fbi agent listening to this i had it downloaded and it just sat in my movie kind of um hard drive for since 2015 basically uh And uh, never got around to watching it. And in this new, like, kind of experiment for the show, I was like, just check it off, bud. Like, what's there's going to be literally no harm in finally watching this thing. And that was my journey with. <laughs> you were with scared. You had this, like, fear of trying to watch it. And you're like, you know what? Fuck it. There's nothing's going to happen to me if I watch this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I was really. I, I had this vision of a man, half man, half, half ant. Okay. All <laughs> right. Nice. Got to stay away from this. One thing that uh, I thought was interesting about your, your history with this movie is you said you put yourself in the category of normal people, which yeah. I don't think I would ever put you in the category of normal people, Mason. So it's interesting I'm categorization saying, man, there. That, like, I, I don't mind watching experimental stuff or watching obscure stuff i nothing gets to me like a movie like this like just an american studio picture that's, that's not why that's not why i was uh, questioning your categorization of normal person you know i was car- i was categorizing you not as a normal person because you're a little bit of a freak is what i was trying yeah to I'm a bit of a, I'm a little <laughs> weird Rissa's known you for all of half an hour and she's like yep this is a freak we got on our yeah. <laughs> hey it takes takes one to know one honestly so no, big time big yeah. time no we I'll, love we love freaks and weirdos on this show so yeah. 
guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. How did, did y'all feel about this movie? Because um, I got some feelings about this movie. Marissa, um, as someone, as some, as the person who hasn't seen it at all before, and the one person in the room who's also not Mason, what are your yeah like initial thoughts about this when you were watching it? Give us some of your initial thoughts. You also have the freshest watch. Yeah, yeah, I do have the freshest the freshest watch. Um, all of my notes are on my phone that is uh, locked. It's in timeout because the person running this podcast told me to. But yeah, I know yeah. it all. I got it all in here, baby. Whoa. Um, yeah, literally whoa. But I so. My dad raised me on being like a Rotten Tomatoes uh, <laughs> follower, essentially. And sure. so, if a movie if a movie yeah. has a good Rotten Tomatoes score, then I'm probably gonna enjoy it objectively. Um, and you know, it really did not miss. It got a ninety two percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and it is it, it is a very very good good movie in so many different ways um, that I will elaborate on. But first. <laughs> First thing was that yes, it was a good movie. Hell yeah, I, baby! I think I think I think I'd watch it again. Actually, whoa, okay, we okay. already got someone looking forward to watching it again. What is I guess besides it just marking off the like check in your box of being a good movie? What I guess stands out to you the most when you think if you just think about I watched the movie matinee, what comes to mind first for you? Um, I think it's really impressive when movies successfully pull off a period piece and it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like pandering it's not like oh look at us we're doing a movie from the 60s look at all these motifs but right. i thought their details were were really really great and yeah, then yeah. like just i don't know it was very it was almost surprising like as smart people were like oh like i guess the ending will probably be like this but i thought that honestly i thought that john goodman was going to like tank like i was expecting him to like have an epic fail moment, but he <laughs> stayed consistent throughout. You thought he was going to end up on fail blogs or something he like won. that? Yeah. Or live stream fails? You laugh, you lose. He won the you laugh, you lose challenge. He stayed stone <laughs> that entire video. Yeah, try not to come challenge also. I think he won as well, right? <laughs> John Goodman did not yep. come in the movie. <laughs> not, not that we know of, at least. Yeah. True. Well, there is the implication. Well, he does. He does have a hot wife, which like big shout, <laughs> shout out to the king for that. For like, come having, on, bro, like, that's crazy. I love the relationship. <laughs> I love the relationship between John Goodman and his wife in this movie. It's so nice. Who were is... they married? Or not married? His, married. his partner. His the. You said wife. Uh, his star. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. Got you with the wife pistol, Mason. <laughs> got you with the wife pistol on that one. It's crazy though. You don't we don't see Kathy Moriarty hardly ever. She's known no. for basically having one of the greatest debut performances of all time in Raging Bull as Jake LaMotta's partner becomes wife. Kay can't get me with the, the wife pistol on that one, Marissa. Um, but we don't see her very much. And it's kind of a shame because she's very if you just know her from Raging Bull, she's so surprising in this. Mason, do you agree? I do. Um, I think she's a great actor. I'm just looking through her credits, and she was in the double, the Richard Ayoade movie with with um, Jesse Eisenberg that I didn't see. She was in Analyze That. Here's the thing. She took an eight-year break between Analyze That and then her next movie was 2010's The Bounty Hunter, a movie which oh, I bought a shit. ticket to so I could sneak into Paul Greengrass's Green Zone in 2010. Um, <laughs> but that's unimportant for this. I think Kathy Moriarty is a great actor. Um, I think that 
she's um in this movie in particular she's so um just <laughs> dry <laughs> yes she does sound like um like her the her vocal quality is like kind of crackling paper and i love that i love um uh that i love how she um plays an woman who is like the best actor in a bad movie very well <laughs> totally um yeah. when she's uh in character in mant i was like i believe that this is a performance <laughs> of an actor in a movie um and i love her uh dressed up as the i think that she gets some of the best lines in the movie too when she's the nurse um yes. playing as the nurse but maybe i'm getting too ahead of myself i guess if you're like only know her from um raging bull this is somewhat of a surprising performance just because she's not in it as much this time but i think that she's just she's a tremendous actor and i just love to see her she is a tremendous actor um and it is just like yeah like you're saying if you only know her from raging bull which i think i did i think i'm like oh shit Kathy Moriarty, in my mind, prior to having seen this movie back in July, I was like, oh, this is the woman from Raging Bull who gets the shit kicked out of her, you know, by Jake LaMotta. And that's all I knew her from. She was nominated for an Oscar for it. And then where did she go from there? You know, I just didn't know where her career tracked. You know, 13 years later, she shows up in Matinee, directed by Joe Dante, this weird, you know, piece of American culture. Uh, Marissa, you are originally from Florida, and this movie takes place in the Florida Keys. That's right. Talk to us yes. about the Florida representation in this movie. Have you ever spent any time in the Keys? How did it come across? So Key West, um, I think they what they got right in the movie was that it's kind of like just the sexy capital of the world. Like there's a lot of even is that one of the quotes that stuck with me was even the adults like doing it. Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Which it, it's just no, it is a very cool place, and I honestly like. I'm going to geek out for a minute. I The state of Florida to me is very, very interesting and extremely multifaceted. So I do love seeing it um, represented, you know, thoroughly in media, you know, whether it's Florida Man, Twitter, or if it's like a movie that actually takes place there. I think, sure. it's, I think it did an excellent job of um, just capturing that, that vibe. That's so, that's so um, independent of Florida. It's cool. How far you grew up in, uh, like outside of Fort Lauderdale, right? Yeah, yeah. So Key West is about two hours south of me. Um, and the cool part is that if there was more than two lanes on the highway going to Key West, it probably would take forty-five minutes to an hour. Damn. But since it's only one, it's one one lane going down, one lane going up. Wow. It takes about two hours to get there on, on any given day. Damn. Mm. Had you spent any time actually like in Key West? Like, do you have Key West memories for, like from your youth? Yeah, well, actually, what's what's crazy about watching this movie now is I was in Key West um, for about a week over the uh, July Fourth holiday. Okay. So I was there pretty recently, so I can kind of have like these visceral memories of just like very. I don't know. It's it's kind of a magical place. It is very secluded. Um, it's kind of like just good vibes only. Like I didn't encounter any mean people there whatsoever. Um, I mean, it is a tourist town. So like there's that, that's kind of like stinky about it, but no, I mean, it's very, it's very cool. There's a lot of different 
cool like historical things. There's like Ernest Hemingway's house and like, right. a bunch of right. cats who live there. It's really really. Do you cool. say a bunch of cats or like do you do my cats? Do you mean like cool <laughs> folks or do you mean just like cats that roam? <laughs> just literally cats. Yeah. All the right? cats were there, John. <laughs> <laughs> the jellical no, cats. <laughs> yes, the, the little jellical cats. cats. Yeah. No, for real. So Ernest Hemingway. So I guess I I think it might be. I'm trying to remember the actual history, but Ernest Hemingway is kind of known for having this giant house, this property right in the middle of Key West. And he brought, oh, you know what? I'm remembering now from the tour. He brought a polydactyl cat, which means a cat that has multiple like thumbs, essentially. Um, Mm -hmm. He brought one, pretty sure her name was Snowball. She was a white cat. And then eventually, like, I guess whenever he was there, like early 1900s, um, the cat you know, it multiplied, so now there's, like, a surplus of polydactyl oh, cats shit. both on that property and around the around Key West. Mason, wow. we got a That's... weird little connect here because isn't Ernest Hemingway originally from Oak Park, Illinois? Yes, he is. Uh, Damn. Yeah, my, I, my sister and I drove past his house and actually past guest Sonny Dion went there last time he was in Chicago. Shout what? out to Sonny Dion for going yeah, to <laughs> the Oak Park Ernest Hemingway house. I have a friend who is just so into Ernest Hemingway, just like as like a guy and just like his work and stuff. Do you guys have any attachment to Ernest Hemingway at all? I know this is like a weird side canal no, to go down, but no, no not any really. attachments. I've never read Hemingway. The, my closest relationship is my neighbor. Uh, in my first house that I lived in when I was a little, little boy had an Ernest Hemingway, like painting in his like kind of study area. And I read the sign that said Ernest Hemingway. I'm like, Oh, that's, that's Jerry. That's Jerry's guy. Ernest Hemingway. Hemingway. Shout out. Well, I love Key West is such like an awesome place to set a movie, you know, like I don't understand why more, movies just aren't set in this area. Obviously, it's a very specific area. It's got a very specific look. It's got a very specific feel to it, almost like, you you know, you're saying, Marissa, that very throwback period vibe. Very Um, bright. A lot of pastel colors. Is it? Yeah, it's like like the Florida Project, almost. It's like the same vibe as the Florida Project. And it's like, it's just this, this, this world that's so specific. Is it feel old in the sense that it's run down or does it just feel old in the sense that it's like preserved? Do you know what I mean? Definitely preserved. I mean, there's a lot of, a a lot of new stuff, but honestly, like it's just very, it's quaint. It's, it's, it's so historical. A lot of these buildings have just been, you know, like you said, preserved and been around forever. And even though there's like the fucking Margaritaville, you know, huge built up place, it's still, there's still a lot of rich history there. Yeah. So can I? Can I? Do we have anything else to say about uh, Key West or the actual setting, real quick? Because I did want to pivot to something that I think this movie does really, really well, whether it was unconscious or a conscious decision. So, anything else that we want to say about Key West, real quick, Mason? Nope. I think it's a great setting for this particular movie at this particular time. Uh, love the setting of this movie and just the kind of world that it inhibits. And now, let's go forward, Noah. What do you got? Well, yeah, it is a great world that it inhibits. It really, I mean, you could have set this in just any town, inhabits, inhibits, whatever, you know, inhabits. Um, (laughs) It, 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 you know, it could have been set anywhere, but the fact that it was set here, the Cuban Missile Crisis is sort of on the, you know, the loom. It's looming over everything that happens in the story. 
yeah. per- per- perfectly makes sense. No, great decision to set it here. I was going to say this about the movie, and it didn't really hit me th- until I watched it this second time for the podcast. And there's, you know, you hear the expression all the time. This is a love letter to the movies. You know, you hear that expression yeah. by critics all the time. It's kind of cliche at this point. It's kind of, I guess, like kind of lame almost to say it's like a love letter yeah. to the movies, you know? Mm. Yeah. But what I think differentiates Matinee from being a love letter to the movies, that like type of thing, is I think Matinee is more so a love letter to actually going to the theater and actually exactly. sitting yeah. in the place as a community experiencing it, not the power of movies, which yes, it does obviously by sort of like association have yeah. that attached to it, but you mm-hmm. really do miss sitting in the theater next to that annoying mom who dragged her kid to a rated R movie for some reason, you know, watching just this passable movie, which you'll forget about as soon as you walk out. Amazing recreation of that. Just such a specific heart that this movie carries with it in that regard yeah definitely that's what my big like kind of that's what i like loved about this movie and that's the kind of thing that's like when i'm thinking back on it making me like happiest and glad that i watched it was the the fact that it's um about the experience like noah said the community experience of going to the movies and how you can like the movies are as much like the building that you're or the structure around you and the kind of time and the context around you as it is about mm-hmm. what's on the screen. And that's why I love that this is like a movie about a B movie, like a movie about like a big old man ant called Mant. Mant! Um, <laughs> and Mant! how the, how the director is this like kind of, he's not like an Alfred Hitchcock kind of celebrity. He's like a celebrity director rather. He's closer to like, have you guys ever seen a William Castle movie? Like the House on Haunted Hill, the original one. Never um, seen it, but tingler. he will be coming up uh, big time in the fast facts section of I'm the sure, show. I'm sure. I'm sure. So what I actually wanted to say is that I love William Castle movies. I have a bit of a history oh, with them. So do this you? is really nice. To, yeah, yeah. When I was in like high school, I loved watching old movies with my friend Yvonne, and we would watch. We watched like The Tingler, which was a sure. William Castle movie that they kind of borrowed the seat thing in matinee from. Like he would put like seats with little. Um, Buzzers. Seats of little buzzers and, like, just kind of buzz it in the theater. The lights would go down. When I was watching this in the basement, it wasn't, like, as effective of a trick. But, like, at one point, the movie just becomes a black screen, and it's just sound effects of people screaming around you. <laughs> Holy shit. Um, cool. And there's this other one um, that he did called uh, Mr. Sardonicus about a man who, like, has a, a weird fucked up face. It's kind of like a moral fable thing. And at the end, the gimmick with that is there, um, there are cards under your ta- under your seat so you can vote on the fate of the character in the movie. <laughs> That's fun. cool. It's, it was really fun. And it's basically what Woolsey's doing in this where it's like kind of the filmmaking is a process. And I love that they use the word process in this movie to describe Woolsey's sort of art. Uh, that's what they call it, right? The process? Like, that's what he's um, patented, like, the kind of... I guess oh, it doesn't matter. I, I don't remember what he calls you know it in the movie specifically. Okay. But, yeah, told- just the, the, the invention of the gimmicks that he's using. Yeah, mm-hmm. and his... And exactly, exactly. And, like, he makes the ticket taker and the, the concession stand worker and the ushers as part of the experience is, like, the actual movie. I, I love that about this. And this is... The point I was trying to make is that this is a love letter to the movies, but it's not like in a very pat kind of um, cynical sense. This is a very earnest um, appreciation of um, going to the movies and that I really like that about it. 
Absolutely. And because we're talking about Lawrence Wolsey, we ha- we can't not talk about John Goodman in this movie. JG baby. Uh, who JG, is the king? He is you know, this is an underrated movies and music show. So I think it's only fitting that John Goodman plays Lawrence Wolsey cuz I genuinely mm. think he's one of the most underrated performers of all time. He's never percent. been nominated for an yes. Academy Award. You know, he did TV at a time where doing TV wasn't like, you know, prestigious at all. You know, you got a paycheck, but it wasn't like doing Mad Men or Breaking Bad or Sopranos was, you know. And so right. just such a, you know, he's been able to last for such a long time and he's just so good in everything that he's in. He's usually the best part of the movie, even in something like Inside Lewin Davis. He's only in yeah. Inside Lewin Davis for, what, 10 minutes maybe at most? And he's so iconic. Yeah. It's amazing. So you got to shout out John Goodman in this movie. I mean, just absolutely. I'm not going to say the movie doesn't work without him because I think the movie would work potentially just because of how lovingly it is made. But, like, shout out to John Goodman. Marissa, what's your, like, history with John Goodman? What do you like or love about John Goodman? Because I don't think you really can hate on John Goodman too much. No, I don't have any hate for John Goodman, JG, over here. He honestly – so I don't watch a lot of movies in general. The last thing – I think the only thing I might have seen him in was Daddy Daycare – is he um, in that, or is that Jeff Garland? Oh, oh God. Am I fucking... Am I dead right now? Wait. Daddy yeah. Daycare? Oh, no. Got a fake it's fan over This is great. This is great. She, this is two great. JGs. So. Two JGs. Jeff Garland and John Goodman. Love that. That's crazy, honestly. Okay, anyway. So, they're great. They're, then how do you feel about awesome. him in this movie? Yeah, what do you like about him in this movie? In this movie, he's just fucking fantastic. I literally that that monologue that he delivers um, to the ticket takers and the and the concession people that was like, that was one of the highlights of the movie for me. I was like, this guy, he just fucking he he believes so wholeheartedly what this character is about, and I I honestly agree with you, Noah. I don't know if this movie could work without him specifically playing this role, or maybe someone exactly like him playing this role because. He's just such a huge personality, and I, yeah, I would agree that he's extremely underrated. He just, I mean, everything that he's in is just, he's just, I mean, he's fucking Sully. I mean, he's Sully in Monsters, Inc., like, straight up, you know? Like, the the man is a legend. I don't think he gets the credit he deserves. Like I said, he's never been recognized for his work by the Academy, whatever that means, you know, whether that actually means anything to you or not. But, like, you know, just you got to shout out John Goodman. He's not actually on screen as much as I remember him being the first time that I watched it. His actual, like, aggregate time is small on screen. Yeah, I was so excited for this movie. I thought this was going to be the John Goodman show. But it's really, and this is what surprised me the most about watching it, was the focus on the kids in this and how it was so much about their um, experience during this time. And it kind of took me off guard for a second. I was, I kind of got impatient waiting for John Goodman to show up. Sure. <laughs> to be completely honest. Um, but yeah, how do you guys feel about the, the kid stuff in this movie? Marissa, you want to take that one first? Yeah, I thought it was so, this is one of the most, you know, surprising things about the movie and what makes it so cool and multifaceted. And one of the reasons I want to watch it again was because like you have this um, amazing acting with, with John Goodman and um, his uh, not wife, uh, Catherine Moriarty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah, Catherine Moriarty, and uh, yeah, and you have um, 
uh, the guy playing the sort of, pro- not the producer, like sort of the, the, the partner who, who was the, um, uptight guy with the, with the vault. Oh, the theater you know? manager. Oh, Robert yes. Ricardo as the theater manager. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have this amazing acting done by the adults and who are not on screen as much as the kids. And then you have this very, like these very earnest performances from, you know, I think unknown younger actors and actresses. And that is just kind of what, like, I don't know, that kind of makes the movie for me. Like seeing, I love seeing unknown kid actors just like playing themselves essentially on screen. And I think that they did such a good job and like, you know, it's that earnestness that really mirrors like the expertise and seasoned actor quality that like John Goodman Mm -hmm. brings. Yeah, it is a very interesting mirror. And the first time I saw it, I really didn't expect it to be about the kids. Like John Goodman's stuff is in service of what is going on with the kids in this movie. The girl who plays, I believe, what is her name in the movie? It's not Shelly. Sherry. Sherry? Is it Sherry? Which one is the girl that goes out with our main guy? I think that's Sherry. That is Sherry? Okay. Yeah. So that is Lydia in Mrs. Doubtfire, if you didn't know. That is the. I don't know if she's the oldest daughter or if the son is older. I can't remember in that. But I was like, man, she's good. Like, why didn't she? Oh do- wait, I think you're th- yeah. thinking of Lisa Jacob. Actually, you're thinking of the other girl. Yeah, that's uh, what that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, Sandra. Sandra. Okay. They have <laughs> the writer should have come up with two different two different initials for these main girls. Like they got Jean. <laughs> Here's the name of the kids. The main the main four kids. Jean. Stan, Sandra, and Sherry. Like we got to throw Brutal. a Mike. <laughs> Come on, or a or Harry a or something. Or something in Nathaniel. There. Yes, <laughs> where is the Nathaniel representation in this movie? All come on. But so yeah, Lisa Jacob is in this movie, and I just did not realize that that is the girl from Mrs. Doubtfire. And I'm like, damn, bro, like she's great. And the main kid is very serviceable in what he's doing. I actually think the young women in this movie are the real standout child actors, Sherry and Sandra more so uh, than Stan and Jean. Um, Although they are serviceable, they're not bad, but the ladies really do stand out. And I think it is proof, hard evidence that women mature faster (laughs) than men in a lot of ways, you know? Yeah, I agree with that. Totally. For sure. I'm like (laughs) mentally 40 years old. Yeah, mentally you're about 40 years That's old, so, and mentally yeah. I'm a little baby. I'm a 20 That's where my hairline's at, is 40 years old right now. <laughs> yeah, honestly, shout out to that. Shout out to the 40-year-old. The 40-year-old hairline. That's the sequel to the 40-year-old <laughs> to version. To the 40-year-old version. It just follows Damn. you around, Mason, yeah. and it's just like, oh, man, we got to get this guy some more hair. <laughs> got to get this guy some more hair. And then Catherine Keener gives you hair plugs, and that's the, that's the movie. That's the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You don't like that. That'd be a really cool movie. I'm thinking about I'm thinking about which actor I want my plugs to look like. I'm gonna go with um ER era George Clooney. I want that nice That's crisp good. Caesar look. Um, Speaking of TV around that time, I actually just watched the pilot of The West Wing for the first time the other night. Had never seen that show before. I understand why people really liked it. I think that I w- wish that I could have watched it in a growing up in a different political time because there are just things about that show now where I'm like no, 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 not actually, not actually yeah, you what's really going missed on. Out not watching that during the Obama administration. That was the last like appropriate time to like, get in, get invested in that show and really like start it in any, anyway, speaking of television, I like that this movie is also about, um, 
uh, people's relationships to sc- the screens in their life. Uh, television, home video, projector screen. Well, that's another uh, actually interesting element to it as far as like movie history is concerned because late 50s, early 60s, television had just come out and movie people were like afraid that television was basically going to take over like going to the theater and the theatrical experience. So that's why these gimmick movies were so popular was because they couldn't be replicated in the TV sphere. You know, like you could broadcast shit on a TV and that's about as good as you were going to get. And like people like, Oh shit, I can watch something at home now that's changing the game. But to revolutionize the theater experience, they're like, well, we got to bring in things that are gimmicks. We got to bring in things that are not able to be replicated. So that's just like a whole other historical, like movie historical context to it. And we briefly touched on it as well, but like, This is also on the fucking edge of the Cuban Missile Crisis, which, like, is kind of an interesting watch right now because people are acting in that in this movie very similar to how people were acting at the beginning of the pandemic, which was also very interesting to see. What were were your guys' takes on that, Mason or Marissa? Marissa, you Um, Thank you. I thought for sure that you picked it because it was, like, kind of mirroring, like, a lot of the language is, like, it's the end of the world, but, you know, we're going to just do this and go to the movies, even though we should be, like, hunkering mm-hmm. down. And we have, like, you know, the sadness of, you know, the grief that um, Jean's mother faces right. with the her husband being over there. Like, I just thought it was very... I thought it was very timely, and that's why I thought you picked it, because I wanted. I thought it was going to be, like, pandemic. I had, no, <laughs> I had no idea, but it's... <laughs> I had no idea, but it was a pleasant surprise. It was, like... Uh, yeah, I always uh, uh, appreciate um, stories about normal folks going through history. Mad Men is my favorite, basically, thing of all time. Love Mad Men. The second season finale also takes place around the Cuban Missile Crisis, so it was interesting to get a Keys perspective, not a Manhattan perspective, <laughs> on the Cuban Missile Crisis. How about that? But yeah, it was so interesting to see that, like, even 50, 60, at this po- almost, at this point, years ago, um... Th- people's rela- uh, reaction to um, just uh, kind of uh, like their mass panic response being so similar yeah. was very, very striking and interesting to see. Um, and it makes for appropriate viewing. Only other things I want to say, because I do, we still still have an album to talk about and I do want to, we got to get onto the fast facts, get onto that, you know, yes. all of our ending shit that we normally do. I am a sucker for a cool bedroom. In movies, I love when there's a cool bedroom in a piece of media and Sherry's room, that pink room that she has in this movie, that gets a chef's kiss for me. It's not a Mercedes Valuable Player contender because I actually think the Mercedes Valuable Player, at least for me, is a very easy pick in this movie. But yeah, man, Sherry's room in that when she's on the phone uh, with, I want to say Stan, right? Yeah, Stan's the brunette. Of the two boys. He's the brunette boy, the little brown-haired boy. Uh, yeah. Such a cool room. Love that room. And I think there's only one other thing that I have to... Oh, I love the line, you can't drop an atomic bomb on Chicago, because I was like, no, then Mason's going to get blown up, and then I can't <laughs> see my friend every week. So I know. I know. It, <laughs> I love a Chicago shout-out in any movie, even if it's going to get... Even if it's going to get nuked in a movie in a movie. It's still fun for me, because I'm like, damn... Would really hate to see North Avenue incinerated. Yeah, I know you would. You'd be pissed off. And that's... Yeah, you know that would be my primary response to getting nuked. <laughs> we gotta yeah. save North Avenue! <laughs> Fuck, guys! <laughs> Do they anything else that you guys need to say before we dive into sort of the wrap-up stuff? 
of this. No, let's wrap it up. Uh, let's wrap it up, son. If I have anything that I want to bring up, I'll bring it up when we're in my wrap up. So, Marissa, anything to say before we do the wrap up stuff? Two quick things. One, yes. the uh, background music was especially Chef's Kiss in this movie. I thought yes. it was extremely good in every single scene. Just fucking great. Whoever d- designed the music for that, shout out to them. They're probably Jerry dead. They're probably dead by now. Jerry, Jerry Goldsmith. Whoa. I think actually alive? Jerry Gold. I was trying to remember. Um, uh, I do. I'm looking up Jerry Goldsmith now. I forgot to look this up before the show. Um, but yes, he actually is dead. He died in 1994. <laughs> so he's shit. not the guy I was thinking of. I think he probably died of old age. There was another composer who died in a plane accident, and I thought this was him. It's not him. We don't have to dwell on this too much. Uh, died of colon cancer. Very sad. Damn. This was his last film, probably. I mean, I don't know that for sure, but if this was done in... If this was made in... If he died in in 1994 and this is made in 1993, I'm going to guess this is one he of his last... He died in 2004. I, I, sorry if, if I said... Mason! Yeah, Fuck you! Yeah, <laughs> no, listen. He did uh, another Joe Dante movie, Looney Tunes Back in Action, the score for <laughs> Timeline. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> and then he had a song in the Kennedy Center Honors, and then he was dead the next year. So uh, he did the score for Hollow Man. This is... I love Jerry Goldsmith, man. He did the score for all the Star Trek movies in the 90s. Okay, wow. shut up. Um, yeah, great, great, great career here. Like, just really, he did the score for Congo. He did the score. He did the rejected <laughs> which, score which, for Which uh, John Patrick Shanley wrote the script for. Shout out to last episode. Yes. Did the score for nice. Air Force One, LA Confidential. Great, great. Uh, he's kind of Joe Dante's actually John Williams. Now that I'm looking at the his IMD his his uh, uh, Wikipedia here, but hell yeah, agree. Great score. Great. Mercy, score. you said there was one more little wrap up thing you wanted to note. Yes, yes. Uh, thank you for the for the anecdotes, Mason, about Mr. Goldsmith. Right, he rest in peace. Very talented. Um, the last thing I wanted to say was, as an actor, I noticed like it was just so funny. I don't, I don't know if that's if it's how things flew in the sixties. I don't know if that's you know recreation of what actually happened, but I just love the like so many lack of union rules like was there even a union on this film like with the fucking sparking of the yeah. of the instrument and then um uh harvey getting all of his ant man all of his mant uh lines and cues like 15 minutes before the curtain goes up and, like it, it was so, just very funny to see like so much yeah. chaos essentially in a, in a movie uh, Harvey getting his instructions for like the little contraption that he has back there like that <laughs> You know, pre-COVID, I was working, you know, PAing on shit all the time, and you would just show up on the day, and they would ask you to do something that you probably yeah. don't know how to do, ultimately, <laughs> yeah. at the end of the day, or if you do yeah, know how time. to do it, it sucks, you know? It's either one <laughs> yeah. of those things. Yeah. And so that just gave me some serious war flashbacks to showing up and then being like, hey, we need you to build five chairs. And I'm like, <laughs> bro, I don't know how to build a fucking chair. Are you kidding me? Fuck y'all. So that... Uh, big, big trauma response to seeing him get those instructions 15 minutes before. I was like, holy shit, that's so scary. Uh, folks, I got some fast facts for you, and I'm going to try and go Let's through them as fast as I can because some of them are a little bit longer. So just let me do it. Okay, Joe Dante says that the financing of this movie was difficult. He goes on to say, matinee got made through a fluke. The company was paying for us. Uh, the company that was paying for us went out of business and didn't have any money. Universal, who was the distributor, had put a little bit of money in, and we went to them and begged them to buy into the whole movie, and to their everlasting sorrow, they went ahead and did it. Principal photography began on April 13th, 1992. Filming took place in and around Florida, including the towns of, you're going to have to help me out here, is it Cocoa or is it Cocoa? 
Marissa. Um, Cocoa Beach. Cocoa Beach, okay. In the towns of Cocoa, Maitland, which is where actually Nikki Reifler is from. Shout out to Nikki Reifler. He is from Maitland, Florida. And Key West in the Florida Keys. My friend Nikki Reifler, shout out to him. Uh, the interior sequences in the school and the theater were filmed on set at Universal Studios Florida in Orlando. The scenes were, uh, the street scenes were filmed actually in Oxnard, California, and production was mm. completed on June 19th, 1992. So like a two-ish month shoot. John Goodman's character, Lawrence Wolsey, is based on William Castle, as Mason noted. American director known for his gimmick filmmaking in the 50s and 60s. Some of Gim- Castle's gimmicks include Emergo in House on Haunted Hill, a skeleton with red eye sockets attached to a wire floated above the audience in the final moments of some showings of the film to parallel the action on screen when a skeleton rises from a vat of acid and pursues yeah. the villainous wife of Vincent Price's character. Percepto is used in The Tingler. Castle purchased military surplus airplane wing de-icers consisting of vibrating motors and had the crew travel from theater to theater attaching them on the underside of some of the seats in an era a movie or in that era specifically a movie did not necessarily open on the same night nationwide so that's how they were able to get uh, sort of ahead of that one in the finale one of the creatures supposedly gets loose in the movie theater itself the buzzers were activated as the film star Vincent Price warned the audience to quote scream scream for your lives so just a couple little fun things that Lawrence Wolsey was doing there. Uh, Wolsey's low-budget Mant is a parody morphing of several low-budget science fiction horror films from the 1950s that fused radioactivity with mad science and mutation, in particular Tarantula, wherein a scientist injected with an atomic isotope formula with disastrous results, uh, and in general the films Them, The Amazing, Colossal Man, The Fly, and Alligator People. The depiction of Mant's use of Rumble-Rama is a riff on Castle's many theater gimmicks. However, the only monster movie produced or directed by Castle before the 1970 was 1959's The Tingler, which did not use a radiation theme. Rumble-Rama is also a nod to censor sound I believe is how you say that. Censor, censor round, uh, we'll call that. Universal's pro- sound process in the 1970s. Uh, last one here. In her memoir... Lisa Yacoub stated that she had her first ever kiss while filming this movie. Her scene partner, Simon Fenton, the little blonde boy, Gene, apparently did not like Lisa very much, which made shooting. Yeah, I know. Yikey. uh Oh, on that one, which made shooting the five takes of the kissing scene. Very awkward and uncomfortable to get through. So Mickey Rourke and Marissa Tomei and the wrestler. Yes, they hated each other in that movie, which is crazy (laughs) because honestly, that's a sexy as hell movie. Not going to lie cool <laughs> you think that's cool that that's you think that's cool that i think that's a sexy movie bro yeah i think that's cool <laughs> all right uh uh-huh. so we do this thing on the show i'm just gonna I'm just gonna skate fucking past that one so we do something on this show where we pick our mercedes valuable player i know you're an avid listener of the show so i don't have to explain it to you but for everyone listening out there Mercedes Valuable Player is the same as a uh, most valuable player. It's a player, of course, it is named after Mercedes Ruel from the 1988 film Married to the Mob, starring Jonathan Demme. You can pick someone, something about the movie. It doesn't really matter, but you got to pick one. You can also tie a couple, two things together if you want to do a co-Mercedes Valuable Player. But who or what is your Mercedes Valuable Player for matinee? Mason, can you go first? I have to Mason, go sure, first. I'll go first. Yeah. So my Mercedes Valuable Player uh, is, uh, like we were saying, I love that this is a ver- an earnest movie about uh, sort of visual 
um, modes of expression, I think, and how you can, uh, how, you know, images are broadcast in your relationship to them, uh, where you return to in comfort. Uh, I think that the sort of ethos of the movie is summed up in Lawrence Woolsey's speech, where he t- um, illustrates his sort of worldview um, by talking about how, you know, uh, I have it on the, the monologue on pulled up on imdb here it's not the full thing but he says a zillion years ago a guy's living in a cave he goes out one day bam he gets chased by a mammoth now he's scared to death but he gets away and when it's all over he feels great because uh, he knows he's alive and then um so first thing he goes home he draws the cave and he draws the animal on the wall um watches it flickering in the lights um and he sort of extrapolates like his sort of purpose from that initial like kind of very base primordial thing. Um, I think it sums up the movie really well. It's why I appreciate it a lot. So that sort of section is my Mercedes valuable player for this. Um, Noah, what's your Mercedes valuable player for this? Like I said, you know, I don't know if the movie wouldn't completely work without John Goodman, but it really fucking works because of John Goodman. And so, yeah, yeah, it really does sing because of him. And so for me, that's going to be my Mercedes Valuable Player is John Goodman's performance as Lawrence Wolsey in this. It's not – I guess a close second would just be the period design and sort of that period feel of everything. I do love something that can be set and just make you feel like you're living in that time. But John Goodman is so goddamn good in pretty much everything that he's in. And so for this Mercedes Valuable Player, I'll give mine to Mr. John Goodman. Marissa, hit us with your Mercedes Valuable Player. My Mercedes, my Mercedes Benz valuable player Whoa. of the year. Um, uh, <laughs> the, yeah, uh, I, I, I think so. I think I think it would go to um, the use of the relatively unknown, you know, child actors in this movie. I think sure. that I, th- I think something yeah. that I've seen in a lot of other movies that have lesser known child actors, especially, is the fact that it is very. It's such a a clear window into like humanity like that is sure so it's it's so pure and so elemental there's nothing they're not hiding anything they don't have like an ego behind what they're doing at least you know what the what this uh matinee exposed was like is very bare bones like oh like i want and i i like or i dislike from the kids so i think and i think especially um remind me again lisa lisa yakuza yakub yako yeah yeah lisa Lisa Yakov, Lisa Yankovic. <laughs> yeah. Lisa's performance especially was, I mean, really blew my mind. I think that one of my favorite scenes was the um, one where they're all going to, in the hallway to duck and cover. I'm yeah. imagining the way they blocked that. And then her just being like the communist of the uh, scene. I think you're just... thinking of Sherry, who's played by Kelly Barton, actually. It's, again... Wait, no, she, I she don't, don't think so, man. I think that that's no. Lisa Jakob in that moment when she's like saying like, how is putting our hands over our head going to, you know, stop a radiation poisoning? That's Lisa Jakob. I don't think that that's that character. No, I think it is. That, because was, her, gonna... that was her whole thing because she was like the up, she like did the uprising and that's why like everyone was like, oh, you're going to. Yeah, but it's different from the, the, the blonde, the uptight girl. I'm getting so mixed up. I'm getting Mandela affected right now, guys. I've, I'm with you, Marissa. I think it is Lisa Jakob because she's the one who ends up going to the principal's office and yep. then Gene is looking at her in the moment in the hallway and he's like, damn, I want to make out with that girl in a movie theater. Oh, so, you know what? Yeah, you're right. I, I am uh, getting myself fucked up. I'm sorry. Hell no, yeah, baby. Okay. We got him. We fucking got him we again. We win. But no, that's got a great him. Mercedes Valuable Player is the child performances in this movie. Uh, I will just tail us off here. This gets a full recommend for me. Mason? 
this one is also a full recommend. I like this movie a whole ton. I'm glad that it was on my list. It's off my list. I think that people can watch this and, and really appreciate it. Uh, especially now, this made me so nostalgic and excited to the time when I can go back to the movies. Yes. And just partake in that ritual again. Because um, I miss it. And uh, Marissa, would you recommend this movie? Drumroll, please. Full recommend. Whoa! Hell yeah. We're doing it. Three full recommends, baby. It's on Peacock for free. Just sign up. Use it. You're going to get some ads. Sucks. But that's how you watch it for free, or you can just rent it on Amazon and you won't get ads. You can rent it on Amazon Prime and you won't get any ads. Oh, I'm going to rent it on Amazon Prime. Won't get ads if I rent it on Amazon Prime. Yeah, Oh, my daughter Lisa Yarkov. My daughter Lisa Yarkov is in this movie. Yeah, I'm going to rent it. Oh, I'm going to rent it on Amazon Prime. We have a fucking album Nice, still. Folks, Marissa, you are our guest. Would you like to preview the album that we are about to talk about? Yes. Uh, this is probably the... So, this is one of my favorite albums, obviously. That's why I'm fucking talking about it over here. Yeah, baby. Um, she's talking yeah, about it. it. This yeah, is she's the, talking over here. Talking over here, you know? So, this is the very... I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm no Jesus Christ lover by any means. Uh, you know, shout out to my Catholic friends. I was raised Jewish. Um, this album almost makes me want to convert to uh christianity wow how about that that's how about that big shit right there man wow that's pretty thank you for sharing that thank you for um using the space of this podcast to um share that with us (laughs) is that all you want to say about it or do you want to say anything else a little bit more about it because i i I can say a little bit more if you want but i want to make sure you say your little opening. Well, we'll talk about it more. How about that? We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it more. Uh, we are, of course, talking about folks today. The 1971 self-titled debut album from Miss Judy Sill. Snap, 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 snaps for that. Um, Mason, had you ever heard of this before we had to talk about it for the show? She, Judy Sill was always someone that popped up on Spotify playlists of music that I was interested in or just like a came across i'm pretty sure lamb got away with the crown was on my discover weekly multiple times um the er, my earliest um my earliest exposure to her as far as i can tell is in 2016 she must have been on a discover weekly playlist i think the kiss from her second Mm -hmm. album oh from um uh, heart food yes heart Heart food Food, yes uh great song that's also a great album um and this her first one uh this is my i should that being said, this is my first time listening to it um, top to bottom. Um, so, yeah. So, what's your guys' um, histories with, with Judy Sill? Uh, I guess starting with Noah and then going to Marissa because this is Marissa's – she has something she wants to say about this. Yeah, Marissa's <laughs> dabbing on me right now because she's going to get to go last and have the final word about the relationship, which is dab on it as well as very fair because <laughs> we brought her on the show to talk about this album. and She was nice enough to watch Matinee. <laughs> when I told her, hey, by the way, you also have to watch a movie for this podcast as well. So thank you, Marissa H., for indulging on that. But I'm glad you liked the movie because the other choice, the reason, peek behind the production curtain, Mason was between two movies to take off of his list, one of them being Matinee, the other one being a two-plus-hour movie about a labor, is it a labor union or just a union in general strike? I think it's a union strike. Uh, John Sayles' mate one. Who is, Um, John Sayles is in... 
Matinee. I he forgot is a to matinee. Say yes, John Sales is a matinee. So that's another interesting thing. I honestly, if I didn't realize that movie was two and a half hours when I was going to commit to it, uh, it makes sense. Uh, but I'm glad we went with matinee instead. Yeah, <laughs> we'll very get different. Made one off my list at some other point, but in any case, bullet dodged Marissa. That's all we're trying to say. Yeah, Thank and I was God. I tried to put I pu- tried to push you, Mason, because I'm like I don't know if Marissa I don't know if Marissa agent knows she's in for a movie when they're agreeing to do this podcast. So let's stick to the one that's fun and not two and a half hours. But thank you. Uh, we'll get to we'll get to Madawan Madawan uh, here one of these days. But I first heard of this is I so crazy how I heard about Judy Sill in the first place when I was a senior my last semester at Chapman University good old Chapman University Dodge College of Film Media Arts uh shout out to that those bad boys over there uh I had an internship at Mosaic which is a management firm in LA oh okay mostly repping comedy people uh Will Ferrell is probably the biggest name that is repped by them Mm -hmm. Judd Apatow is also repped by them um, very interesting internship made me realize I'm not interested in that side of the business, but it was a very worthwhile internship have to have, but I had to take the early shift at that internship, which means I had to be there from orange County at eight 30 in the morning in Beverly Hills. And I had to take the early shift at that internship because I had to get back to Chapman for a seven o'clock class that I needed to take to graduate and I was trying to take a class that I wanted to take and have this internship so that I didn't have to come back and take a class that I didn't want to take. I'm like, well, I guess I'll fucking try and make this work. And I even told the professor, I'm coming from Beverly Hills. If I'm late, I'm very sorry. Can we please work something out? And she's like, you hope you hope you make it on time, basically, because ah. you get two absences. And on the third one, you fail the class. And I was like, fuck, that sucks. I hate you for this. But what can oh, you do? Dear. So big time stress on that one. So early on in the internship, I'm driving back to Orange County. It's basically a two hour drive both ways, both in the morning mm-hmm. and at night. So pretty heavy traffic. Very annoying drive. But. One night, as I was approaching Orange County, I'm listening to Office Hours with Tim Heidecker, believe it or not, the podcast. Mm. And on the podcast was a little little lady who we all know and love named Wiseblood. Yes. Who we all Whoa. love Wiseblood. And they're like friends. Tim and Wiseblood are like friends. And like they actually did. I want to bring this album onto the show. It's called Fear of Death. Tim released it from this, this year? year. Yeah, he released it this yeah, year. Yeah, it's really it's like, good. Have you it's heard really it? Good. Yeah, I have heard it. It's really good. I want to bring it on the show. I, I really want. It's like one of the next ones I'm going to bring on the show probably when it's my turn to pick. But uh, <laughs> they were on. They were on. She was on this podcast talking to him just like about her because she wasn't very well known actually at the time. This is early 2019. I don't think Titanic Rising had even come out yet, or maybe mm. it was like about to come out or whatever. And they were talking about, oh, who are some of your influences? And she said, oh, well, she's not very well known, but I love this woman named Judy Sill. And I love this song called Jesus Was a Crossmaker. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's a very interesting title. Then they started playing the song on the podcast so that we could hear what this song was all about. I don't know if Tim had ever heard it or not. Maybe that was the reason why they were playing it on the podcast. But folks... From basically from the second Jesus was a crossmaker came across my brain, it has not left. Basically, almost two years later, and I just wow. devoured this album. I just devoured this album, but I had kind of forgotten about it 
honestly, of late. I had sort of forgotten it. It had kind of fallen out of my rotation just because for this podcast, we have to listen to an album every week. I'm trying to discover new stuff. So it just sort of fell out of my rotation. And then I saw that someone that we all also know and love, Thomas Saradarian, had posted a Judy Sill song. I think it was Lopin' Through the Cosmos, I think. I think that's what yeah. he had posted on Instagram. And I was like, oh, fuck, that's such a good song. Holy shit. Oh, my God. And so I got back into the album, and I'm like, how have I not brought this album onto the show yet? This is perfect fodder for the show. Perfect so that's, show fodder. That's my relationship yes. to this album in a nutshell. Heard it in one of the most bizarre ways I think I could have come across this album, but I'm all thankful for it nonetheless because it has an even better connotation with me and uh, for all the more reason for it. And Wise Blood, not that we're actually talking about her on this episode, but she is fantastic. And if you like this album and you haven't checked out Wise Blood, Titanic Rising is one of the best albums from 2019, and she's just an all-around fantastic artist. But I'm talking my little dickens off over here. Marissa, what is your relationship to this album? How did this album come into your life? Give it to us. Oh, my God. Well, firstly, I'm just so glad that you have you you know that you have some kind of relationship with this album because it, it, it makes the conversation just so much more you know, fascinating to, to balance it off of each other in that way. So I'm glad that you did that. Um, but my actually, uh, Mason, the fact that you bring up, uh, Spotify and like discover weekly, that's precisely how I found out about Judy Sill. The one that was on my discover weekly in the summer of 2018 was loping along through the cosmos. And immediately I was just like, Fuck, like, I love Joni Mitchell, I love yeah. Carol King, yes. I love the Laurel Canyon sound, and I was immediately just, just taken with this this woman and this album. Um, and actually, wait, you know what? I'm a big liar, because oh. even before then, even even before I heard Loping Along to the Cosmos on my Spotify Discover Weekly in 2018, I was really into the album Case Lang Vares, uh, I think Yes, oh, that's a great album! Yeah, that's fucking. We need to talk about that album next time because it's. We fucking, bring this I, album. No, we should bring that. That album should be brought on this show. I love that album. Seriously, I love that album. I think even more than I love, uh, uh, the Judy Soul subtitle, just because it's like, anyway. That's a whole different conversation. But yeah. they have. There's a song on there, um, that Laura Vares, uh, leads, and it's called "Song for Judy." Oh shit! And <gasps> essentially, it's like it's like her life in a nutshell, and she references the kiss. So the first, I think, one of the first lines is. Um, the first, the very first line is you wrote the kiss and it is beautiful. I could listen again and again. Oh my gosh. And it's just like, when I heard that, I didn't know about Judy Sale, but I was like, okay, it's obviously, she's a very cool person. She loved the sons of the pioneers and the Hollywood cowboy stars. It's one of the lyrics in the song for Judy. And I was like, okay, cool. And then it just so happened that I got that on my discover weekly in Spotify that, that galaxy brain Spotify, Mr. Yeah. Mr. Spotify over here. Yeah, like, <laughs> this Mr. Spotify CEO. Yeah, algorithm. And... Uh, <laughs> the, algorithm. <laughs> the algorithm. I love that. Uh, yeah, I'm baby. That. <laughs> I'm stealing that from you, Mason. Um, yeah, but yeah, so <laughs> I, and I, you know, actually I heard this. So this, that was summer of 2018, I was in Vermont um, working at this amazing theater company that I'm obsessed with. And Vermont is a very special, magical place for me. So any songs or artists that I discover when I'm in Vermont really stick with me because of the beauty of the, of the atmosphere that I'm in. So I listened to this album. Um, it was, it's, it's like, excuse me. It made me horny for Jesus. Like she is <laughs> so <laughs> horny for Jesus in this album. And it's yeah, just she so and funny. Yeah, Stevens have that much in common. <laughs> 
Damn, that's the collab that will never happen. But honestly, they should just holograph her in. It makes me in. so sad. Whoa. It makes me so. I tried <laughs> to look up if Sufjan's ever mentioned if ever no- mentioned her as a influence, and I couldn't. I came up short. But it there, peas in that pod, baby. Peas in that fucking pod. Peas in the pod. They're they're just yeah. And I think the fact that there's just so many things I love about about her in general, um, and about her especially on this album, like the way that she. The way that she was literally born and raised in LA, but like has this sort of country twang folk sound and like this affectation in her voice, I think is so endearing. Um, I think that it is, I think they'll see the album is 19, 1969 to 71. And the, the sound is some of the best vocal like mixing in and instrumentation I've mm-hmm. literally ever heard. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Her voice Ugh. literally sounds like it, it was like, constructed in the perfect voice factory and then yeah. shipped and then shipped out to this woman who just woke up one day and was able to sing like that it sounds so effortless and the way mm-hmm. that it's mixed we'll talk about that in the fast facts section as well but basically the album mostly was mixed by a man where is he he was it was mostly mixed by a man named where are you sir fuck <laughs> fuck where are his name is fuck uh <laughs> I don't. Ha- I can't find his name. It's in my notes, fucking somewhere, and I have no idea. But it was noted, or it was mixed by this guy who was like a famous, well-known guy in and around that era. But the song "Jesus Was a Crossmaker" was actually produced by Graham Nash of Crosby, mm-hmm. Stills, and Nash, which is so oh, yeah. interesting because that song I think actually has some of the most substantial and standout, like vocal layering and like it makes you feel like she's like bouncing around in your head when she's singing and it's like coming from all different directions and so the song that she's probably most well known for did not go to this guy that made the rest of her album unfortunately so a little bit of a little bit of a sad shout out uh to that guy but uh jesus noah's sad facts (laughs) noah's (laughs) fucked up sad facts um amazing just an amazing album and i love that you brought up carol king and Joni mitchell because i think that yeah. if you like, not to preempt ourselves for like the recommendation okay. section but like she fits in so perfectly with that crowd and she literally is like the perfect definition of like underrated in that sense because she's just as interesting and just as musically gifted as someone like Joni mitchell or someone like carol king and yet she just didn't stick around long enough to like rise to prominence, unfortunately, because both this album, well, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. But she didn't stick around, unfortunately, long enough to like have a career. And why is that? Well, we'll get we'll get to it. You're asking me to do something I don't want to do yet. We'll just talk about the fact that she died when she was in her early 30s, uh, and she. It's just like it's just she was just. It's just so like what could have been, you know? It's like that perfect what could have been with her. And she was yeah. right there with, you know, right up there with Joni Mitchell as far as, like, that sound is concerned. And it's just, like, it's just, like, so, it's, like, a sad story. It's, like, beautiful that we have this music, but just such a sad story and such a sad, like, occasion for basically mm-hmm. why we have this music in the first place. So we've diving, we've, like, diving head first, like, basically into it without diving head first into it, really, or saying that we're going to. But, Marissa, I'm curious, what do you think actually differentiates her from someone like a Carol King or someone like a Joni Mitchell, even though they are similar, what do you think makes Judy stand apart in that bunch? Mm, I really think it's the brand that she chose for herself, like Cowboy's Wife. This sort of 
um, adventurer. And Joni has some of that too, but I just think that the use of instrumentation is so, so unparalleled to both, to both Joni and Carol. Like, not just the fact that she, you know, is an amazing vocalist and guitarist, but she has this, like, lush orchestration behind her in basically every song. And the way that it's mixed, I, I mean... I love Joni. Joni's my OG, but I've never heard a Joni Mitchell album mixed the way that this Judy self-titled totally. is. Yeah, yeah. Mason, are you sort of on that same tip when it comes to what you think differentiates her from sort of the pack that she followed? Yeah, yeah I think that she, um, Marissa touched on it uh, earlier when she was saying that this album made her uh, want to convert to Catholicism, but there's a spirituality to this album yep. and to, to uh, Judy that's not, that you don't really associate with Joni Mitchell um, or Carol King. Um, again, incredible song, both incredible songwriters. I uh, have been listening a lot to the Joni Mitchell song, Amelia recently. Mm. Um, but I think that her spirituality and uh or judy's spirituality and the fact that she um unlike those other like other artists around like i, I think about her, her the, the quality of her voice and she does with just herself what like crosby stills and nash do and young we'll throw neil young in and there young. Also, when they're like all, yeah. young. and young when they're all like when they're working and singing as a unit where you just like feel um you know a bunch of voices sound like one. She's able to make her voice sound like a bunch of different voices almost. I, totally. I don't, you know, in the mixing and stuff like that. It's such an interesting uh, and specific quality, um, particularly in the song Jesus Was a Crossmaker, where it sounds like she's kind of just popping around in your head on these sort of, like, different, like, thoughts about this guy she's writing a song, a song over. Um, I love her. Noah, what is something that, like, how do you read her sort of – um, as distinct from uh, her contemporaries, the folks that kind of get, you know, had the, the longer career for reasons. Yeah, I think it's, I think that it's, that she continues to be enigmatic. And I think that she continues to be sort of this mysterious figure. I think talking about, I what did I write down? I think I wrote specifically down, the lyrics throughout this album are either one of three things, if not all three things at times. Mystical, spiritual, and straight up just religious. Like all yeah. the lyrics are some blend of those three, one of those three things. And I think, and on a personal note, Marissa, I was also raised Jewish, not to any sort of like insane degree. Like we didn't, we didn't regularly attend services or whatever, but like it was just a part of me that I never really knew that much about. And so when I do hear people talk about that in music, it oftentimes feels very much of like putting me at a distance because I don't have a sort of connection to it, an easy connection. I didn't grow up, you know, at war attending worship. My dad is very anti-organized religion, actually. I don't know if he's ever told me that he's like straight up an atheist. I don't even know if he would call himself that, but he's absolutely agnostic, for lack of a better term. And my mom is very like... I don't want to say weird when it comes to religion, but like she started wearing a cross necklace and she had been a practicing Jew for like most of her life. She started wearing a cross necklace like months ago or whatever. My mom's, you know, wild, but like, you know, it's just crazy to me that like that, the like way that religion and sort of like spirituality manifests in people. And to Judy, yeah. it seems like she's singing about something that she desperately needs because yes. 
mm-hmm. not to get too deep into the fast facts section where I will there actually are a lot of fast facts because this is just such a person that most people aren't familiar with and if you are familiar with her music there's a good chance you probably aren't familiar with her story but she had a really tough life i mean straight up like yeah. in every sense of the word she had a tough upbringing she had a tough adolescence she had a tough adult life she didn't live to be very long she struggled with addiction and everything and she's singing about something that she desperately needs and not to say that Joni yeah. Mitchell isn't doing that as well to a very high degree and not to say that Carol King isn't necessarily doing that to a high degree but this is a person who is doing it and you can feel it and you feel as though if she doesn't get it it's not going to go well and it didn't go well for her and that is what makes it so sad but it's also what makes it so beautiful and so I think it is that like just that knowing of like but we might not have gotten this music had her life not gone the way it did. So that's my read on it, Mason. Yeah. What were you going to say? Uh, on that tip, you know who else she reminds me of? Someone that came later. Who? Mr. Jason Molina. Yeah, true. Marissa, are you familiar with Jason Molina at all? You told me to listen to him last time, and I didn't. I'm sorry. Sad. No, it's okay. Listen, I we haven't brought a Jason Molina project on this show in particular, just on the other Noah Marger podcast project, so... Maybe someday. Maybe we'll bring you back for that <laughs> also. Yeah. That's homework. Punishment. Yeah. <laughs> He's got some fucking incredible stuff. And actually, Mason, this is not a joke. This is not a bit. Not Jason Molina. But do you know who came up after every listen of this album for me when I listened to this album for this recording specifically? It's someone we've uh, talked about on the show before. A, a Mr. Zevon. Mr. No, Warren Z. Good oh, guess. Okay. Someone even crazier who also weirdly followed a Judy Sill type story, and that's Dennis Wilson. Dennis Wilson's N- album came up at both times I listened to this, and I was really? like, "Really? Like as Holy a recommend? Is like on the song radio or the album radio or whatever?" Yeah, a hundred percent. Interesting. It was Time that came up the first time, and then River Song, which came up the second time, and so interesting. Pacific Ocean Blue and this album might be an interesting pairing. Well, what's I think it's um I really like the production on Phantom Cowboy I think because that one sounds a little bit like a Beach Boys song and a Dennis yeah. Wilson kind of song maybe that's the one I'm thinking of um or it's mm-hmm. in um maybe that's it I don't know uh th- it doesn't particularly matter but I like that I like that he came up there for you um aside from who we already mentioned Marissa is there anyone that uh anyone else that you listen to that Judy still reminds you of Oh my goodness. Um, honestly, I mean, I, I just, just because of the connection, I think that, um, probably, probably closest to, to Neko Case and Laura Veers, mm-hmm. probably not, not so much Katie Lang, but she's, you know, she's in there. Um, but they, I mean, that album specifically, and also Case and Veers' music is very, is very mystical, very like West Coast, yeah. uh, West Coast, like semi-spirituality and, you know, you have that very you have both like the stripped down and the lush um, instrumentation in those songs as well. Um, this actually, she just, <laughs> this is so random. She reminds me of a friend of mine. Her name's Ario and she was named after Ario Speedwagon and she's extremely <laughs> religious in the Christian way. So she reminds wow. me. Of, yeah. Listen to Judy. Sh- I think shout out Ario. to Ario. Shout, shout out, out to Ario. How do you spell Ario? <laughs> A-R-E-O. A-R-E-O. Okay. okay. Very nice. Yeah, because if it was just Rio, people would be like, "Oh, Rio? No, not Rio. No, no not, not Rio. She's you not dumb named shits. after the Duran Duran <laughs> song. She's named after fucking Rio Speedwagon. 
This is such an insane connection, but in the movie Employee of the Month starring Dane Cook, uh, one of the friends of Dane Cook looks at him like later in the movie during like his crisis moment or whatever, and he says, you're like the drummer in REO Speedwagon. Nobody knows who you are anymore. And I'm just like, that sucks. <laughs> That's such Damn. a fucking shitty joke. Fuck that. That movie's okay, actually, not going to lie. Uh <laughs> You're like okay. Judy Sill. No one knows who you are anymore, and you died when you were 31. Yeah, someone. You're, no one knows who you are anymore because you fucking died. Um, do you, I said to you guys if you wanted to find some lyrics uh, of hers in this album that really stuck out to you to do that maybe before we started the show. I have a couple here. Uh, I can go ahead and get us started. I think I have four lyrics, all from different songs. Maybe these are my four favorite throughout the album. That's kind of what I was going for. My first one is from the first track, Cran Angels, which is just a fuck. That's just an amazing name for a song, first and Mm -hmm. foremost. But phony prophets stole the only light I knew and the darkness softly screamed. Holy visions disappeared from my view, but the angels come back and laugh in my dreams. I wonder what it means. Then does poetry. That's just fucking poetry set to music. That's fucking incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, Anybody else have any anything from Cran Angels? Um, I don't think I have anything. Oh, I ha- I liked um, the angels come back and laugh in my dreams. I wonder what it means. Yeah, it's like perfect. That yeah, that that one for sure. Also, the way that she says "come back and laugh," I'm like, girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, just it's she, true. Yeah, I I we will talk about my favorite. Pro- <laughs> I love how she pronounces some words on this album. That's all I want to say. Me too. Right now. That's the that's probably one of the most one of my favorite things about the album is is her his her her diction. Yeah, her diction yeah. is crazy. She's got some crazy fucking diction in this album. Uh, Marissa, what's your first like pop out lyric? Fucking a. I mean, it's got to be. I gotta say, mo- I like "Loping Along Through the Cosmos" is my favorite song off the album. I just, I think of this lyric all the fucking time in my life. I think of, I'm looking so hard for a place to land. I almost forgot how to fly. <sighs> yeah. Ah, so good. I just woke up my neighbors by that. That's amazing. <laughs> it's worth um, it though. Fucking, fucking worth it. Um, I, lo- I love, uh, I love in Ridge Rider. It's, uh, he's courageous enough to be scared, but he's too humble to win. And I feel like that's a kind of a parallel on her life. Like she's, yeah. she was too humble yeah. and she didn't, you know, blast herself on, on AM radio like uh, Tim Heidegger did. But like, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just, uh, I'm trying to, I'm looking at some, for some other. Well, I got someone from Ridge Rider as well. And that is the yeah. chorus, I believe, which is bless the Ridge Rider. The Ridge he's riding is mighty thin. I guess the Ridge Rider forgets he's traveling with a friend, which is, that's such like a <laughs> little mm. interesting lyric because the idea that you think you're on this journey alone is something that I think everyone feels, whether it's yeah. one point in their life, multiple points in their lives, or just peppered in throughout. And that reminder that you're never truly alone, you know, in this world, and even if you think that you're alone in this world, is just such an amazing thing to be reminded of in a song. And this is, I'll just say it, Mason, it's got the Mason McGuire seal of approval in the sense that every single song on this album is a good song. There isn't a fucking yeah. bad apple in the bunch in this one. No. Yeah. Um, Here, so, yeah. So here's mine from actually from Rich Rider. He comes from the crypto- cryptosphere <laughs> where the great sadness begins, and he doesn't pretend to be brave, though the road's dusty and dim. Yeah. Um, I love how she says cryptosphere. <laughs> That's one that I wrote in my notes in parentheses. Sounds like a Jason Molina lyric. 
Um, and the other one that I wrote down that I think could be could uh, sounds very reminds me of a lot of the music the the quality of the lyrics that I like from Jason Molina's music or songwriting uh, is in Phantom Cowboy. Though I'm sitting in the grit and the grime. Uh, the spark of hope is in me strong. I'm going to try to get there in the nick of time and maybe I can ride along. Uh, just, I love her. Uh, I love her, her affinity for cowboys in the West. In yeah. this, um, alongside, um, I've been listening a lot to the song called I want to be a cowboy baby by, the, <laughs> by this Irish singer. C Matt sent it to Noah. Maybe I can post it in our group chat, but it's a really fun song. Um, so I'm, I, God, uh, Marissa, do you have some other lyrics here for us? Oh yeah. I just, I the another one from loping along to the cosmos. I'll tell you a secret I've never revealed. However we are is okay. Fuck. Yeah, yep. I got, I got yeah. that one. I got, the, I got the more, the, like the, the fuller version of that verse, which is, so keep on moving or stay by my side. Either way, I'll tell you a secret I've never revealed. However we are is okay. That's just. I mean, that's just, like, the nicest thing you could probably say to someone. You know, at the end of the day, like, it's, like, one of the most reassuring, yeah. like, mm-hmm. kind, vulnerable things you could, like, say to another person. Um, all, can I hit you with my my last lyric that I found, which is probably from, even though it's the song that started it all with me for Judy, I don't think it's, I don't know if it will ever not be my favorite song of hers, and that is Jesus Was a Crossmaker, which, mm-hmm. if this album did have a single or a hit, quote-unquote, it was probably this song. Uh, from it and Mm -hmm. he's uh, pretty much every lyric in that song is incredible and I could have picked all of them but this one always sticks in my head because of the way she sings it and because of the diction and that is he wages war with the devil a pistol by his side and he though he chases him out windows he won't give him a place to hide he keeps his door open wide and the way she sings it in the song is like he keeps his door open (laughs) wide and you're just like how does that work that's so that's like so few syllables for how many like measures of music there are or like vice versa and yet it just fucking works it's like amazing to like hear that song like a finished version of that song i would love to hear the stems of that Ooh, song and just yes. hear like each there's individual a, part there's a uh release on spotify of her demos and i think some live versions of this of her songs and the demo for jesus was a heartbreaker is very 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 good mm. wow very interesting to look at so mine from that song is the third chorus hiding me earthly desire dividing me he's a bandit and a heartbreaker oh but jesus was a heart uh, was a cross maker and i just <sighs> just the chorus just the 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 the, the duplet here the couplet here he's a bandit and a heartbreaker oh but jesus was a cross breaker cross maker that's just that is just fucking great like pop gospel song writing i love it so much marissa you got any other little lyrics for us before we get into the fast facts and like rap out stuff um let's see from jesus across uh, yeah i I, yeah well they're sort of just just echoing what you said about about the pistol by his side i i I just i was sorry when i was i was listening to this with um thomas recently we were doing like a a joint listening thing and um i kept trying to count the meter because i feel like and her use of time signature is also something that's fucking insane to me. But totally. most of the, most of the time, it's in four four. It's like normal, but it's the way that she syncopates the lyrics. It's like he wages war with the devil, a pistol by his side, and then, although yeah. he chases him out, chases him out windows. He's like she's fucking spitting ra- bars over here. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It is so good. That's true. Yeah, that she is. 
She was the first female white rapper. <laughs> for all she was Iggy Azalea before Iggy Azalea was she, She's so fancy, baby. She was pre-Crayshawn. She was. <laughs> Damn, bro. Do you guys re- I can't believe that Fancy was ever a hit. That song, you just. I was today years old it was when 20, I remember it was that 2014. Song. It was 2014, man. It was a different, simpler time. Literally was yeah. a simpler time. That's fucking crazy, bro. Damn. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that. we get into the fast facts, I just wanted to shout out her pronunciation in The Lamb Ran Away with the Crown, which is really like going like kind of mano y mano with Jesus Was a Crossmaker is my favorite song on this album. Um, but how she says battleground in that mm-hmm. battleground, it's so fun. It's so good. Um, well, it just kind of goes to show you that she at least put on the appearance that she wasn't encumbered by anything. She put on yeah. this appearance yeah, that yeah, she yeah. was just going to make the song that she wanted to make. She was just going to do it the way she wanted to do it, even if it wasn't like the quote-unquote traditional way or the right way to do it, you know? She had to sort of do it her way. And it's really interesting as well if you listen to her second album uh, called Heart Food, which we've briefly mentioned before. Every song on that album, also incredible, there's an eight-minute song at the end of that album called The Donor, which I think David Geffen originally wanted her to not include in the album because it's like very trippy and very weird i think she had some choice words yeah. for him i can't remember or even <laughs> if i can remember i don't know if i'd say Doesn't them it have on this an podcast. explicit tag on spotify does it Let's no see. i don't I... think it does have an explicit tag but she had some choice words okay. for him in real life when he was like hey maybe don't include the donor on there and every hmm. other song on this album is like pretty normal length there's even some like sub two minute songs on this album if you wanted to think about it in like a pop release sense but then there's an eight minute song called the donor which is just like this trippy ethereal ride literally makes you feel like you're loping along through the cosmos quite literally you know and it's just crazy yeah. to think that like this album could have been more poppy in that sense and yet she's thrown in an eight minute song i don't know it's kind of crazy just wanted to say that anything else that we have to say before we get into the fast facts section uh, it is unfortunate that she is dead and we only got two studio albums from her, but, uh, I don't know. What we, we got is pretty spectacular. So, no, wait, let's get some fast facts going. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I got some big time fast facts for you because she just had an insane life. So I'm pretty much condensing her life into a list of fast facts. Uh, Judith Lynn Sill, a.k.a. Judy Sill, was born in Studio City, California on October 7th, 1944, and spent her early childhood in Oakland. Her father, Milford Bunn Sill, hell yeah, shout out to Bunn, uh, an importer of exotic <laughs> animals, literally exotic Bunn over here. No. Uh, for her use- dad was Joe Exotic. All right, let's keep doing this. Nice. That was literally Joe Exotic. Uh, for use in films and also owned a bar in which Sill learned to play the piano. He died of pneumonia in 1952. Sill's mother, Onetta, moved with Judy uh, and her older brother, Dennis, to Los Angeles, where Onetta soon married. Really crazy fact. She married an animator on Tom and Jerry named Kenneth Muse. And that was, like, noted in, like, her little biography section. So her stepfather hmm. was an animator on Tom and Jerry back in the day in, like, the early 50s, which is just you never ex- you, ne- you never expect the stepfather's going to be an, an animator on Tom and Jerry. So, 
1972, Rolling Stone magazine interview, Syl described her home life and her mother's remarriage as unhappy and frequently violent due to physical fights between Syl and her parents. She transferred from a public school, Birmingham High School in Van Nuys, to a private school where she met other rebellious teenagers, some of whom were allegedly, quote-unquote, allegedly, sprinkle some allegedly on that, like Jesus and Marrow, involved in crime, either during high school or after her graduation. Syl and a man she had met committed a series of armed robberies of businesses such as liquor stores and gas stations sill and her robbery partner were soon arrested and spent nine months in reform school where she served as the church organist and quote learned a lot of good music including (laughs) gospel music so there's the gospel roots for you taking place right there uh, what do we got here next? After being released, Syl briefly attended San Fernando Valley Junior College as an art major. She also played piano in the school orchestra and worked in a piano bar. In 1964, her mother died and she left college and moved out of her stepfather's home. She started doing LSD and other drugs, moved in with an LSD dealer, and joined a jazz trio. Everyone's three steps. You move out of your stepfather's house, you do LSD, and then you join a jazz trio. In April mm-hmm. 1966, Syl married pianist Robert Maurice Harris. The couple lived in Vegas for a time, but both developing both both developed crippling heroin addictions within months of moving there. When Syl moved back to California, she resorted to sec- sex work, scams, and check forgery to support her drug habit. A string of narcotic and forgery offenses sent her to jail, and she learned that her brother Dennis had suddenly died of a liver infection. When she got out, she immediately set work as a song composer. It literally is like we're saying. It's just like her life was just t- fucking tough. Hit after hit yeah. after hit, you know? It's just, it's she sad. she wrote such gentle music, too. I know. That's the crazy thing. Um, she wasn't this, like, hardcore rocker. Go ahead. No, yeah. Like, if she was on the other coast during this time, she'd probably be uh, a punk, you know, a punk, basically. But she wrote this very delicate spiritual music. Uh, I even wrote that, like, the outro to The Lamb fa- Ran Away With The Crown sounds like it's from, like, Sesame Street or something. Like, yeah. Like, totally. Yeah, big, big time. Um, but man, yeah, hard life. Absolutely. God bless her. God bless um, her. On of the guy whose name I was trying to figure out earlier was Henry Louie, who was like the big like like person that she worked with who wasn't Graham Nash on this solo album that she did first. And guess who else Henry Louie mainly worked with after this? You guessed it, folks. Joni Mitchell was someone that he ended up working with a lot afterwards. Wow, nice. So funny how funny how life works in that way sometimes. Uh, however, Jesus was a crossmaker's production is attributed to Graham Nash of Crosby, Stills, and Nash. This is just a short little fact. Sill cites two of her biggest influences as Bach and Ray Charles. Hell yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. What a crazy combo. Hell yeah, sis. We love Hell it, yeah, sis. So, Perfect. There you go. Uh, Syl began touring as an opening act in late 1970, a year before the release of her self-titled album. Her first major tour was with Crosby and Nash, and she also opened for Cat Stevens, Gordon Lightfoot, and Tom Paxton. A full opening act performance recorded on June 3rd, 1971 in Boston in support of Crosby and Nash appears in on the Rhino reissue of Judy Sill. The set was recorded two days after the release of Jesus Was a Crossmaker. Syl did not enjoy working as a supporting act, unfortunately. She told NME in April 1972, at the start it was all hell i as i walked on the stage i used to think oh god i'd rather die than do this i'd rather stick a knife in my heart than go out and say nice to be here unfortunately sometimes i played with rock groups and it's 
Erg. That's what she says. Little meme queen right there. It's Erg. Little XD random. Rar means I love you. (laughs) Meme queen, Judy Sill. Uh, Terrible. Ridiculous, in fact. If somebody is ready to hear rock and roll, then they have a certain part of their mind or body stimulated. It's asking too much of anybody to suddenly switch around and have another part of them stimulated by something else. It's a great point. Why is she going on tour with rock bands? That's not going to make them. They don't want to hear Judy Sill if you're going to hear fucking Crosby and Stills Nash and Young or whatever. Yeah, it's 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 kind of it reminds me of when like Mitski opened for Lord on a tour. Oh, that's weird. Remember that? Do yeah. You guys think, I feel like that's like, not that weird. I feel like that could make sense. It was just Lord it was it was like, I don't know. I don't know. It, maybe it's not as weird as that. It would be like Mitski opening for Imagine Dragons, I guess is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Mitski opening for Rachel Platten, who's only doing fight song. <laughs> Shut up! Rachel Platten had a great career before, before fight song, and now she's ruined. This is my fight song. Take back my bees song. Sill's personal life was turbulent, and she was affected by the early deaths of her father, mother, and brother. So claimed to have been married twice, saying in interviews that she was briefly married either during or just after high school to a classmate, but her parents had the marriage annulled. A friend of Sill's has written that she claimed to have been married to her robbery partner. Sill's second marriage to Robert Bob Marie, or Robert Maurice Harris on April 27, 1966 in Clark County, Nevada. They ended up divorcing in 1972, and then she married, I'm going to maybe butcher the name here, Samir Ben Taib Kamun, a Tunisian actor, mime, and Charlie Chaplin impersonator. And they, uh, it says they got married in 79, but I feel like maybe she wasn't around by then. So I don't know if that's necessarily true. Maybe she, oh no, you know what? She, she ends up passing away a little bit later that year because it says that she was struggling with a drug addiction and dropped out of the music scene in 1979. And she ended up dying of a drug overdose, which was formally called acute cocaine and codeine intoxication on November 23rd, 1979. And this is the part that is a little bit crazy for me specifically. It notes specifically that she died in her apartment on Morrison street in North Hollywood. Hollywood, which is literally a block up from where I used to live in North Hollywood. When I think I shared that with you, Marissa. Maybe yeah, you we did. Talking that's, privately. That's spooky. That's wild. You know, I saw that on the Wikipedia, and I was wondering if that was close to where you lived, but that is not so but so. That's it that, is. That, that was that close. And I don't know if it's the same block of Morrison Street, because Morrison Street ends up uh, getting intersected by Lancashire, which runs diagonal. So it's kind of a fucked up little intersection there. So I don't know if it was in the same like block, but I lived around a lot of fucking apartments, dude. So like, I wouldn't put it past it to have happened in and around that time. I got a couple more fast facts that are going to be a lot shorter. So stick with me here. Although Sill's music was not commercially successful. A number of later songwriters have been fans of her work, including Liz fair and Mason, your favorite guy, Warren Zevon. Last fast fact, in November 2016, in conjunction with Record Store Day, the Fruit Bats released The Glory of the Fruit Bats, a limited edition LP comprising previously unreleased originals, select covers, and cinematic instrumentals, including a cover of My Man on Love from Judy Sill's self-titled debut album. I got to find that. I got to find a rip of that somewhere because that that would just be a very interesting uh, sonic experience. Those are my fast facts on Judy Sill. Thank you for bearing with me. I thought it was important that we sort of pay tribute to the life that she did live, even though she was sort of gone from us uh, a little bit too soon based on just how fucking hard her life was, dude. It was like every single step of the way, it just seemed like she was combating something. And like you guys said, 
she still made gentle, vulnerable, sweet music when she easily could have been, you know, doing screamo before everybody else, you know? Uh, yeah, the first nightcore art, not uh, what is it, clowncore artist? Yeah, no. exactly. She's uh, she's ICP before ICP. Uh, Mason, <laughs> what is your Mercedes valuable player for this album? Good goodness gracious! Like I said, between it's it's kind of between um, Lamb went ran away with the crown and Jesus was a crossmaker for my favorite songs here. Um, fuck it, I'm just gonna give it to both of those. I can't decide sure. really. Um, I think Lamb ran away with the crown. The crown is a very um it's a very tender nice gentle soft pillow of a song about good winning over evil from the perspective of evil as at least it's as far as i read it um and jesus was a crossmaker is one of the best breakup songs ever written i think um mm. so those are my mercedes valuable players uh, are those two tracks noah where are you for Mercedes Valuable Player? You know, as much as I love this album as a whole, uh, and as much as that I just love it, uh, it's, you know, every single song. It just always comes back to Jesus Was a Crossmaker for me. It was the first thing I heard of hers. It was my in. I'll never forget feeling, like, at ease, being worried that I'm going to miss my shitty 7 o'clock class, you know, driving back mm-hmm. from Beverly Hills. It just put me at such ease knowing oh, it, maybe it doesn't fucking matter, actually, if I'm late to this class or not. You know, like, it, this life yeah. Hell yeah. life is not all about making this class on time, you know, to appease anyone, really. I should just enjoy this moment of being in the car, listening to these people talk about Judy Sill and listening to Jesus Was a Crossmaker for the first time. So for me, it's got to be Jesus Was a Crossmaker as my Mercedes Valuable Player. But this whole album is great. So that's my Mercedes Valuable Player. Marissa, what is your Mercedes Valuable Player? Oh, my Mercedes Valuable Player. I mean, as much as I love Jesus Was a Crossmaker, I'm going to have to say that mine... I'm, I got I to gotta give it to Loping Long Through the Cosmos. That was my in. That was yeah. my fucking just my drop-in. And whenever I hear that song, I just am immediately brought at ease. Brought to just comfort and like just groundedness and just really just seeing life for what it is and right now it's okay we're all just loping along through the cosmos we're all just getting so caught up in our own lives that we're missing the very important moments that are happening right in front of us so it's like god it's so simple and so beautiful that's my mercedes uh valuable player i think as a runner-up I'm going to have to say Ridge Rider. Sure. It's really, yeah. it's just, it's, there's so many really cool components to that one. Um, I love the little, I mean, I just love the little, ooh, it's just so sweet. And the little clip clops of the horse in the yeah. background. And then you, and then you have that, a really good example of her, of her cool t- um, time signatures. She goes, um, I think the verses are in uh, six, eight and the, uh, choruses are in four four, Weird. and it's just so so seamless the way she does it, and her scansion is amazing. I just fucking she's she's a, a lyrical and musical genius. She absolutely is. Mason, do you recommend this album? Full recommend. And you know what? Two weeks in a row, I'm gonna give this a catfish. Also, Woo! it's a fucking catfish from me. Uh, Noah, how do you feel about this here album? So here's what I have to say. I love this album. I think it's absolutely fantastic. But I'm only going to give it a conditional recommend, and here's why. Come on. No, listen. Here's why. Here's why. <laughs> no, 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 no. If I showed my dad this album, he wouldn't give a shit about this album at all. 
there's people out there that just won't listen to this album just because it's the way it is. So I'm going to give it a conditional recommend. I'm not going to recommend this album to every single person that I meet. I would recommend Matinee to just pretty much anybody. I think that's a great movie. This this album, I don't think I could confidently go up to just my friend who I know is not going to be able to, like, handle it, you know? I love this album. I think it's fucking fantastic. But I have to give it a conditional recommend only because I just think that there are people out there who will just won't give it the time of day because they just won't they don't like this kind of music at all. So that's my rationale behind that. All right. That's, that's a good fair. point. I, I see your point on this. I think that that's a little uncharitable to the, the masses, but I, I see your point on it. So there you go. Marissa. I'm so I'm somewhere in between that. Like I, I didn't. For I didn't even I, I didn't even uh, cross my mind to give this con- a conditional recommendation just because I love it because I love it so sure. much. But I do agree that like it is very heady, and I feel like you have to be, you know, an intellectual person of taste to fully uh, <laughs> sure. to, to to fully you know really appreciate her work and and her story. Um, that being said, I do say that this is something that everyone should at least try, even if they might not like it. I think that they might be they might surprise themselves with um different aspects of her music because it is so multifaceted and objectively beautiful that i think that everyone it's i think it's a must listen in general this is a good way to put it it is a must i would say that this is a must listen as far as giving it a shot absolutely yeah. will my dad like this album absolutely not he's gonna turn it off after two songs <laughs> not a matt's album no not matt's album but it hopefully he doesn't listen to all eating matt's lunch either yeah. uh so there's that <laughs> Uh, we did it, guys. We made it to the end of the show. Marissa Hecker, oh, thank yes. you so much for being here on the show with us. Uh, this is the part of the show where you get to plug whatever you want, so plug away, baby. Hell yeah. My name is Marissa Hecker, loud and clear. Yeah. My Instagram that I sell art on is at Inside Marissa's Head. My personal Instagram is at M Hecker. Um, and my YouTube channel is BFA Problems. That's a lot. So that's pretty much all about me. Hell yeah. We will <laughs> link yeah. to all of those in the description below. Uh, you can find our show at the links in the description as well. You can find me, Mason, on Instagram at hotdogdebicki. Hotdog the food, debicki, Elizabeth debicki. Uh, my other podcast, The Barn, a podcast about The Shield. Uh, should be getting close to wrapped up about now uh, with that series. And uh, on Letterboxd where I'm just logging things that I watch I'm pretty active there. Uh, I guess that's about it. If I think of something to recommend closer to the show date, I'll throw that in the in the description below. Uh, maybe throw a little recording in here. Who gives a shit? Noah, uh, <laughs> that's where right. can the folks Who find you? Who gives a shit? Who gives a fucking <laughs> shit? That's right, Mason. Uh, you can, of course, find me on Instagram, Twitter, Letterboxd, all those good places. At Noah Marger on Twitter. At Noah.Marger. That's dot spelled D-O-T. Uh, Noah.Marger on Instagram. And Letterboxd, I think I'm Noah Marger there as well. Maybe Moa Narger. Not sure, but it's in the fucking mm. script. Uh, you can listen to my other podcast, my favorite podcast, a podcast about people's favorite things. You can listen to the episode I did with Marissa. Uh, that was episode number 23. Like I said at the beginning, we talked about Jens Lechman's album, Life Will See You Now. Great album. Actually, this would make a kind of an interesting pairing with Jens yeah. a little bit, I think. What do you yeah. think, Marissa? I think so too. I was actually thinking about when you were rec- when you were conditionally recommending this. I was like, yeah, like Jens Lechman's Life Will See You Now is something that I think that everyone will like. This is something that's a little more niche, but like 
both just incredible storytellers, poets in their own right, and really some two of the best instrumentalists that I will ever listen to. Because of that podcast, which I, I, I definitely listened to, I did listen to uh, Life Will See You Now, and that is, I will back up what Marissa said, that's also a great album. Uh, maybe yes. we'll bring it on the show one day, who knows? Who knows, baby? Uh, but yeah, you can listen to that episode over there. When this episode is coming out, I believe the episode of my podcast that will be coming out at that time is I will be talking to the one, the only, Jackie Riley about Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared. So if you want to hear a little wow. deep dive about the Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared franchise and sort of Very what, cool. like, <laughs> I know, it was a great pick on her end. We haven't recorded the episode as of this recording yet, but obviously it'll be out around that time. So you can go over, check that out. Again, you can follow those shows on Twitter and Instagram as well, at MyFavePod on Twitter and at MyFavorite underscore podcast on Instagram. My, like, quasi-recommend... Oh, and you can follow Wild G Stuff. We actually might have a new video out, actually, by this time that this, that this podcast is released. I'm not sure. We want to release it at the end of November. Not sure if that's going to happen. But it will happen, if not at the end of November, the beginning of December, because it's almost done. So look out for that. If you like Family Guy, you're going to want to watch it. That's all I'll say. Uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> my other little recommendo. Uh, like Mason said last week, although The Sopranos is a great show, it is pretty gnarly. Uh, this show is also gnarly, but in a different way. It's on Netflix. The anime Neon Genesis Evangelion. I just nice. finished it. Uh, nice. And it is fucking depressing, and it is yes. really brutal at times in a much different way than The Sopranos is. It's not as grisly. It's just existential to the nth degree. Uh, I'm probably going to watch End of Evangelion when we get off this podcast <laughs> record right now cool. and end my night nice. with just an absolute fucking atom bomb to the dick. Uh, so that's my other recommend <laughs> is Neon Genesis Evangelion and probably End of Evangelion as well, but I haven't watched it as of this recording, uh, but I'm probably going to watch it when we get off. That's it. Thank you, Marissa Hecker. Thank you, Marissa Hecker, for Thank being here. Thank you very here. much. As always, Black Lives Matter, Black Trans Lives Matter, defund, abolish the police, fuck Donald Trump. He's still technically in office as, as this recording. Uh, gotta get it while the iron's hot. Fuck Donald Trump. Uh, and we will see you all next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I forgot to say it on air, and I literally was planning on doing it. I just forgot to write it down. So I'll just say it. You can fucking tack this on at okay. the end of the show. Uh, it was your birthday, like we keep saying. And so I messaged you privately, of course, uh, and told you happy birthday. But mm. I want to just get it on the show record. You are an amazing podcast co-host. We've been doing this together for over a year at this point. And I've had other guests on my solo pod where it's just like, maybe it was a good interview, but man, I never want to talk to that person again because they're fucking difficult in every <laughs> sense of the word. But you, my friend, from the very first day, stepped up and you said, I will edit this show. And we didn't really know how the show was going to get out there. And, you know, you always come prepared to talk about whatever it is, even though you do work a full-time job and I sit around at my house all day and try and keep myself occupied. I do stuff, but I don't have a full-time job like you do as on top of doing this show, The Barn, and editing it. So I just think you deserve a little vocal shout out in that regard you can put this at the end of the show if you want or whatever this is going in the beginning start... of the show so people know that you're nice to me <laughs> <laughs> i yes. just forgot i literally just forgot to say it because i forgot to write it down but i really did mean to say it so thank you for being an amazing uh co-host wow. thank you for taking the reins and doing the post-production work of this show and you're just a really nice little guy and i'm glad I, you are my friend and how about that Aww. i love you buddy that so was so sweet. nice that was so nice yeah. thank you
and really now it really uh, does mean a lot that's so sweet yeah you're very welcome i will never say anything like that to you ever again <laughs> no so no. i hope you enjoy <laughs> it <laughs> uh,